especially in relation to the library itself. I mean, one of my first experiences in the library was when I picked up a, a vinyl and when I played it, it, it I immediately travelled and I was sitting with my grandfather. You know, I, I immediately connected. And and that's the intention with the lounge is um, whatever. Is that better? Much, Much better. better. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so Carolina, I just mm -hmm. want to um, highlight some terms that don't necessarily, that we're not necessarily associated with as practitioners um, that <clears throat> I think can sometimes be associated to our work, but um, we find it important to just kind of highlight, you know, they, they can be really kind of acute, nuanced mm. differentiations between certain things. So while work might appear as one thing, it might not necessarily be that. Um, so one of those terms includes activists. We don't necessarily perceive our work as activism. Uh, we don't speak about it that way or even practice within that realm, especially because our work is very much a reflection of life. And so the other term is just one that was introduced just now, Black Bodies. It's a bit of a, I mean, I, I know that it's a, a very present way of discussing and engaging the presence of, you know, Black bodies in society. But again, I think the difference between personhood and body is definitely a distinction that we make. So we use the term only incredibly particular cases, but rarely otherwise. And I think perhaps the third point would be that this isn't art. <laughs> it is architecture and space making. And um, even though it is installation work, it is in the space of the gallery, it very much is spatial practice. And so, um, So research got us into the performance of lounging, or at least the practice of lounging, which remains one of the most critical uh, forms of space making in the South African urban context. And we got into the history of any 51s, which are non-European 51 homes. 51 is for the year that those homes were designed. And the any 51 homes were basically the type of homes that were introduced historically black townships in South Africa, and there were four room homes. Some had toilets inside, some didn't, but those four room homes, which were generally 40 square meters, were designed to be incredibly functional. So you'd see also on the plans of those housing designs that they tended to have about seven beds packed into those four room houses because they anticipated that those families would be large. There wasn't necessarily space for activities such as lounging, which, you know, if you, if you think of the domestic home, lounging is one of the only spaces in the home that isn't for an exclusively functional purpose, such as a bathroom or a kitchen or a bedroom. Um, the lounge gets to firstly be both semi-public as well as private, so it is the space where outsiders mostly frequent it is a space where one can socialize but not only socialize co-create forms of socialization and so 
in a context like South African townships where the NE51 homes were designed as very temporary housing. So the, the intent was that laborers would come into the city from the rural settings to work on the mines and then during the holidays they had to leave. And so the lounge space became a really critical way that attempts at producing ideas of permanence started to emerge. So introducing the wall unit, which was colloquially and still is colloquially referred to as the room divider, became a really critical component towards a sense of settlement. So the room divider gave storage spaces and so, you know, which was incredibly effective for a space that barely had any storage space. So that became a place that could contain a lot of different things. It could contain the best china so that when you have your most important visitors, you can you know, bring the china out and drink tea like, you know, the queen is, is around. But you could also have VCRs or VHS uh, tapes and so on. And so you could also, you know, play your most favorite things, collect your most favorite cultural things, share and derive cultural meaning regarding the shared media that you collect. But with being able to have this kind of toolkit of sorts, right, where so much could be stored so that so many different forms of life could then play out, it enabled a lot of, of forms of life to play out that wasn't just about survival. So families could then start hosting their, their wider community and it would be a really big deal to be a really good host. And, you know, in those moments, the best china would be out, you know, uh, families would dress in their Sunday best, the whiskey bottles would be out. Sometimes the lounges could then be used as these backdrops for very elaborate and extravagant family portraits. And those portraits were incredibly critical because, again, when all of the most opulent items that one owns could be put out on display and even you as the person in the house is also on display in your Sunday best and um, in, in the kind of greatest version of yourself, families could then project themselves towards a future that wasn't real, but that was at least in the collective imagination possible because those lounges were able to place families in a version of life where they were free, where they could access opulence, where they could access health and wealth and leisure. And so along with that came the ability for housing rights and ritual practices. So things like Lubola negotiations, funerals. So it became a space that could house really critical and important ritual practices. It became really important for socialization practices, um, being able to invite, you know, uncles and brothers and so on to a listening session about, you know, on a, a, a vinyl. So the, the, the practice of lounging would operate as something that we call the second skin. So, you know, in architectural practice, we refer to the skin as a facade, right? So the facade is something that we interchange with the word skin. And so if you imagine the building facade, right, the NE51 being the first skin, we explore and understand the lounge as the second skin. So it's the second form of containment that, that kind of separates you from that primary limited inhibiting skin of the NE51 that was designed to be exclusively practical and functional 
to not be able to have any form of a rich textured life outside of being laborers at the service of an apartheid labor system. And so, so what we find really important is to firstly expand on the definition and meaning of spatial practice, because such practices were operating as very um, functional spatial contain, and they were spatial and are, they remain spatial typologies. And so we find it really important to firstly articulate this form of space making as space making, so it is architectural practice, and to also, or, or rather we refer to it as the practice of quiet architecture, and we take that word quiet from uh, Tina Camp's book, Listening to Images, where she refers to the practice of quiet as the, the practice of the everyday, but practicing a future that is not yet here. And we find that incredibly resonant with the way that the practice of lounging continues to happen, is that it was constantly a practice of a future that was not yet there, and for many black families, it is actually now the present, but it also still contains possibilities of performing other futures that are not yet here. And so, although it's it's seemingly inconsequential to the architecture discipline, it, you know, we argue that it could actually have been so critical to where we find ourselves now. Yeah, there's a positive uh, impact we're having when, especially when when art practitioners come to listen to the story or find out about uh, our idea of lounging through the experience of, of the lounges, the second skin, um, how it's embedded in, in real life story and how it can be experienced as well. And, and again, we came up with also a term called scenography. Scenography as, as, as a way to experience space at the same time while enjoying, uh, so to, to, to basically physically experience space or experience the, the installation. And basically we're trying to also break the boundary of what exhibition is, right? Uh, where we are trying to move away from the idea of gazing and, and just looking but to, to also to get into the experience of the work. Yeah. Just, just to backtrack a bit, also what we also started to engage with was um, sound. To, to like also looking at sound as another added layer that forms of lounging were actually experienced. Um, I think the interesting part was how music, sound, kind of also played a role on what forms of practices or forms of lounge, lounging happened within mm. these uh, lounges. Like, for instance, like on Friday, you would hear more like shipping music, your brand of houses, and then on Saturday, you hear your R&Bs, and then on, on, on Sunday, um, you would hear your gospel. And also that kind of informed the entire township most of the time because of how close and close um, approximate these NE51s are. You know, gener when generation plays, the entire street would hear generations. And that kind of informed all of us within the street that it was time to actually sit down and watch generation. So also sound became another added layer 
and informing people in the township on what forms of lounging happen at what time. Yeah, and we started to engage with Kutsi's um, vinyls with, uh, when we were doing our opening, when we had our opening, and we mm. pulled some vinyls um, and yeah, created a whole soundscape to kind of inform these forms of practices that happen in the lounge. Um, yeah, I think, you know, something that Dickie, you know, something he said made me remember, you know, my experience of the lounge sort of also, for me, um, revealed the degrees of intimacy that we might have to the lounge or the township condition. So while Tanaga and Dickie were experiencing an intimacy, like a immediate intimacy of a condition that they're personally familiar with, my... Um, intimacy with the lounge is a little bit more removed and so I was actually experiencing the lounge through my parents memories of their experiences of the lounge through you know stories from childhood that they would tell or from instances of me visiting family in the township where it's not my lived experience but I will sometimes you know um, I'll be transported into that world for a time and so I think even the, um, you know, there's a nuance in there the degrees of how close you are to that experience and how, you know, I'd argue that it's almost just as intimate to sort of remember somebody else's memory, somebody else's story mm. through that experience of the lounge. Mm. There's a nostalgia there. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. That we connect with, yes. I think, in different in different ways, mm-hmm. we connect to that nostalgia. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Thank you for a very riveting engagement. Thank you for your time um, and just the openness and all the and your generosity. It was it was a very generous sharing, and I appreciate that so much. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome.